1: Welcome back, Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke. You can follow me on Twitter at Locked On Sports. Facebook's David Locke and Locked On Sports as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's edition is the Scout. Playoff edition of Scout Number One. For those of you that have listened enough to know that we have multiple scouts. This Scout Number One, and it is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. So make sure you go download the app SeatGeek. It's the only place to buy your tickets to events, whether it's playoff games or baseball games, and then go to the use the promo code Locked. You'll get twenty dollars back off your first purchase with SeatGeek. All right, Scout, how are you?
0: Going well. How are you, Dave? I'm
1: great. Let's talk about the... the uh, this is I'm really excited for this. This is going to be fun. Because you have prepared scatter reports on all these teams. So I, I want to kind of do two things. One, we're going to talk... A few of these series have enough meat to the bone now. We'll talk about where they are. But I also just kind of want to go to the matchups a little bit. So we'll walk through the various series, at least seven of them, because we don't need to talk about San Antonio and Memphis. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Da- what did Dallas do last night? What did how did Dallas just get the 110 point Oklahoma City Thunder points per game down to 84 and win 85 84 in Oklahoma City? <laughs> uh,
0: good question. It looks like they just uh, decided to make the game more physical and 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 play with a little bit more grit because uh, if you look at Game One. Oklahoma City shot lights out and Dallas couldn't throw it in the ocean. And so it looks like Dallas just decided, okay, we're just gonna make it a gritty, really grimy game, which is not something that uh they're really accustomed to, but it's like the backs their backs were against the wall. So they had to do something. Um uh, and it looks like the focus was to take uh Durant out of the game, which everyone thought was impossible, and just let Russell do his thing. So uh, it kind of worked out. I mean, uh, Durant had a difficult time last night until late in the game, but uh, and Dallas just fought tooth and nail to uh, stay close. And the thing about it, if Dallas is close and Rick is coaching, they have a chance.
1: Why? What so is, what they is, came
0: out with the victory.
1: What is it that Rick does?
0: Well, he's, he's such an intellectual coach. He, 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 goes at matchups. Um, he has a great defensive coordinator in Melvin Hunt. And, uh, I think that they just decided that, uh, you know, if I think cause in game one, um, the focus was on Russell. Well, that didn't work out very well. So they changed it and, and, and good coaches, they make adjustments. Uh, in games and, 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 and throughout a series. So, uh, Rick is so good at, um, at picking apart, uh, the most minute aspects of the game. And I think that he, he noticed something in game one and, uh, and, and brought it to the attention of the players. And obviously it, it made things tough on, on KD. And, and with Russell, he, You you have to take the good with the bad, and if Russell is is, going to shoot and win games for them, then so be it. But they didn't have a third guy either to really have a great game, and that's the thing about Oklahoma City. You can't let that third guy erupt and have a big game, And, and, and Dallas did a good job of neutralizing everyone else, including Kevin.
1: So whenever something happens against the Spurs, I always say, nothing happens against the Spurs by accident. It's kind of what I admire most, right? So if Kevin Durant went 7 of 33 against the Spurs, I would probably say, wow, they're doing something to him. But Kevin Durant and and with seven turnovers. So Kevin Durant goes 7 of 33 last night with seven turnovers. Do you think it's Kevin Durant had a bad night? Do you think the Mavericks and Rick Carlisle had something specific to a game plan that made Durant uncomfortable last night?
0: Well, I think it was more had to do with what uh the Mavericks did. Uh Kevin is is great and he never shoots that way. I think Dallas's defense was, was more physical. And I don't believe that Kevin likes to be crowded and, and, and likes to be hounded. And even though all of Dallas's guys are smaller, still it's like it's like being a giant and having these bunch of little midgets reaching and tugging at you. it, it starts to bother you. <laughs> and uh, I think that the scene the crowds and people always around me and testy and Matthews was great counting him and all up in him and, and touching him and feeling him. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that stuff bothers you as, a, as, a, as an NBA player. And and the other thing too is these guys, Durant and Westbrook, they have to share the ball more. and, I don't think they shared it enough. I mean, you have to get everyone involved. And, I mean, 70 for 33, okay, if it's not working for you, why don't you give it up and get it back? That that didn't happen for them. And so, okay, if you're going to keep shooting, go ahead. But we're taking these other guys out. So here we go. Game three has to be an adjustment. Oklahoma City will make adjustments, and so will we. And that's what Rick Carlisle is saying.
1: That's interesting. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, the interesting one on Westbrook, he, he's just fabulous. In transition, he shoots 60%. In the half court, he shoots 42%. If you can get him in the back five seconds of the shot clock, he shoots 32%. So if you go and get Dallas, if Dallas can keep this to an 85-84 style games, I know OKC had 20 fast break points last night. But, I mean, you actually look at OKC, th- these can be – um, these can actually go together, but OKC had 20 fast break points and 19 second chance points. I, I don't know what they must have shot on their initial half court sets last night, but it, it, it must be awful.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and that's the thing—they're not really a great half court team, um, and 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 teams know that, and they they excel when they're playing fast in fast break and in early offense. But in half court, they're not that great. And if you can make them play deep into the clock, you're probably going to force them to take a bad shot. But the problem is rebounding. They rebound so well, they crash the offensive glass. So you've got to be able to rebound in order to have a a real chance against these guys.
1: What is it that Rick Carlisle does that allows – I mean, Nate McMillan must have, like, died a death watching Raymond Felton the other day. Because Nate McMillan basically lost his job in Portland because how bad Raymond Felton was in Portland. And now Raymond yeah. Felton goes and gets 21-11 and 11 and makes all the key plays. Like, he played, like, the number five pick of the draft that he was 10 years ago. And I'm exaggerating, but it feels like for the first time in his career. What does Rick Carlisle do... That JJ Barea is a terrible NBA player anywhere but Dallas, but in Dallas is a viable threat. Raymond Felton suddenly has this new lease on life. What is what 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 happens in Dallas? Well,
0: I I, I believe that Rick just trusts those guys and he makes them believe that they're superstars, and he fits he he allows uh, their game to fit into his system. And, 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 uh, he allows his system to fit their game. Um, but the other thing, uh, with, with JJ and Ray, uh, the word is their players really believe in those guys and, 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 and encourage those guys to be aggressive. And, and, and as a point guard, um, I believe that freedom and confidence allows you to play better. And so, um, I mean, Ray has had a great season and and, both, and JJ has too so um, I mean it's it's Rick and and having confidence in him because Rick is, Rick can be tough on on his on his guards uh, as history shows but he I mean he just he 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 trusts these guys he encourages them, encourages them and he allows them to play free
1: Here's what's interesting about Rick I know Rick well uh, I don't know how well you know Rick I'm you know, you're in the league so I'm sure you do but when everybody talks about players coaches and coaches who go and get players to perform at this level they talk they think about communicators I, I would guess that that's Rick's low worst skill is communication like he's not a natural, he's not a natural communicator at all he's really contrary to kind of what I think the the people think you have to be to be a player's coach.
0: I agree. I agree. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of stories about Rick. Uh, he's, he's not a great communicator. Uh, but, uh, he, he will deal with guys one on one and, and, and every now and then, um, he likes to pull guys aside and talk to them in his office and, uh, and they come out and they go in feeling bad, thinking it's going to be the worst and they come out feeling okay. It wasn't so bad. So I, I don't know what it is that he does um, uh, to, to, to make these guys' uh, egos and confidence go up, uh, but it's working. <laughs> so, uh, and I think also his, his support staff has a lot to do with it. He's got some quality of assistance that, that um, these uh, players really lean on.
1: Well, their championship staff might have been the best staff ever put together in NBA history.
0: Right, No question about that.
1: No question. Dwayne, We'll see if Dwayne Casey can get out of the first round. But Dwayne Casey and Terry Stotts, for those who don't know, were the assistants on the Dallas championship team with Rick Carlisle and really should probably be, other than Popovich uh, and Rick himself, probably should be one and two in the Coach of the Year voting this year. So that tells you a little bit about what that staff was. Or it tells you how incredible Rick is that they leave Rick and (laughs) take that with him. I don't know. Okay, before we go to some other series, let's talk about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the sponsor of the podcast. We greatly appreciate their support and we'd like you to support SeatGeek as well. It's very simple. It's the number one place to get all your tickets to a game or concert, Major League Baseball playoffs, whatever you might be going to. So get the SeatGeek app on your phone and then go and go to the settings tab, add the promo code locked and you will get $20 back on your next next ticket purchase. Three main reasons I like SeatGeek. One, it's the compilation of all of the seats that are out there at one place so it's convenient. Two, they grade the seats for you so it's based on value. You can immediately see which seats are best or not. And three, it's always honest and upfront about the price of Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees. I was in LA for the weekend, checked out the Giants Dodgers games. Where were the tickets available on SeatGeek? Set a SeatGeek seat alert to see if the prices got to the right moment for me. Unfortunately those stayed too expensive so I didn't get to go. But you can do that as well. You can set the alert and have it there. So get the SeatGeek app. It tells you the events that are going on. Use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get $20 back after you make your first purchase. i really Appreciate SeatGeek for sponsoring the podcast, and you for supporting SeatGeek as well. Let's go. Let's switch. Let's switch gears. the The Toronto Indiana series has been interesting. I don't know how much you've seen, but just kind of going into your uh, wealth of knowledge, having prepared both those teams at different points during the season, what is your thought on that matchup? What are the key things that happen in this matchup? And and you know, is Toronto as vulnerable as people are saying?
0: Mm, well I, I saw game 1 and um man Indiana just went right at them and um they I mean it's a great matchup they're both um fairly even uh for the most part but I I I I think this this series could go 7 games uh because Indiana is going to push them to the limit and they're going to um expose some of their effic- uh, inefficiencies, um, defensively and offensively, because you got on offense. The um, Rosen and Lowry are obviously Toronto's best two players, but the Rosen uh, is not necessarily a, a long or long-range shooter, so they're forcing they're forcing him to take longer shots and get away from his his uh, very efficient uh, mid-range game uh and with Lowry I mean he he's aggressive uh he can score inside and out um well he can get to the basket and he shoots long range shots but he doesn't have an in between game so if you can make him uh shoot in between shots then you know you have a chance and then of course uh Paul George is is on another level uh so I think he can carry them uh, um um to the end of this series now, I don't know who's going to win it, but uh, there, this game, this series will go seven
1: games. It's interesting. DeRozan was two of eight at the rim last night and or yesterday afternoon, and got no free throw attempts in the whole game. Is Indiana? Some of these guys on Indiana must be much better rim protectors than they're given credit for.
0: Well, I mean, Mahini and Miles Turner are, are are good defenders. Uh, so they have long guys in the paint that can change shots or block shots, and those guys are—you don't get to see them much, you don't hear about those guys, but they're very good rim protectors, and uh, and their length uh, affects the game uh, near the in the paint.
1: One of the things that jumps out at me, if you look at Toronto this year, they were best when Corey Joseph was at the one, Lowry. Or DeRozan was with the two, or Lowry and DeRozan were on the floor together. But if you do that, then DeRozan ends up having to guard Paul George.
0: Yes, and that and that's something DeRozan cannot do, and not many people can can guard uh, Paul George. But um, and that's and that's where you have to make find ways to make adjustments. And I guess this is where the analytics aspect comes in and the plus minus stuff. Uh, but I mean, there's no way that DeRozan can guard Paul George. Uh, throughout the game without, um, overextending himself and, and not having anything left on the offensive end. So you, you uh, they, Toronto's got to figure out who we put on George, uh, to neutralize him and, um, have DeRozan fresh on the offensive end because they, they have to have him to score and, and, and make free throws because, I mean, he's great getting to the free throw line and making free throws, but obviously he wasn't in game two,
1: and to your point, he doesn't shoot a lot of threes. So if he's not getting the free throw line, he becomes pretty strongly in- inefficient as an offensive player. Uh, Houston, right. Houston, Golden State's up 2-0. Should Houston be able to defend Golden State at least a little when they don't have Steph Curry?
0: Um, no, because they're not a defensive team. Now, realistically, they should be able to defend them, but when you haven't played defense all year at a high level. What's going to change in the playoffs? Nothing. This series will be over in two more games.
1: Interesting little note of this game. Dwight Howard is minus 38 for the series, and Andrew Bogut is plus 38. Why is Andrew Bogut a better player than Dwight Howard, or is he? I don't know if that's a fair thing to take those minuses, but I actually think Andrew Bogut might be a better player than Dwight Howard, and I don't think most people think that. So what's your thought on those two?
0: Uh, Andrew Bogut is a better player because he's, he's, he's more efficient in every aspect of the game. I mean, you, he, he gets buckets in different ways. Uh, he's extremely active, uh, around the paint, uh, with, with, with tip ends and making himself available when, when, when guards penetrate. And, um, I mean, he's a fairly good, he's not a great shot blocker, but he, he, I mean, he, he's decent defensively. Um uh, and whereas Dwight he you you can't throw him the ball on the block and expect to get puck points. And he's just not that kind of guy, even at this stage of his career. Um and he doesn't have the best set of hands. Um and, this, and Bogut can pass a little bit, I believe.
1: Yeah. I mean I Bogut's one of the best passers. Dwight had four assists the other day, which was stunning, but uh I would agree I think, you know, it's 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 so you can't it's not only you can't give him touches in the post he can't he doesn't create anything for anybody out of it. Uh, whereas Bogut, you can give him the ball, he's going to be able to make a pass or do something uh, that's so important. I, I think I've talked to you about this before, but this is what strikes me about the Warriors that I don't think is talked about enough. Uh, Sean Livingston has been on five teams in like six years before he joined the Warriors and was often criticized for being a non three point shooting point guard. who You know whatever. Iguodala had some criticism before he got there. Barbosa was almost out of the league and was a guy who was thought of as a head-down, open-floor player that didn't see teammates. Brandon mm-hmm. self explained, most spates had been, I think, on three teams in six months by the time he got to the Warriors. Yeah. And what is it that the Warriors are doing to allow these guys to play to their strengths and be productive after these? After really they've been kind of shipped off by a bunch of other teams?
0: yeah they i mean they were con- considered outcasts and uh but it's it's all about it becomes psychological now you 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 made them believe that they fit and they do belong whereas most teams have tossed them aside they're in a system they're in a family atmosphere they're in a they're, they're happy uh the guys make them feel welcome and when you've got two superstars in in curry and clay who make you feel welcome, and 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 they work hard, and then you see this, you catch on, and it becomes addictive. And now these guys have now worked to change their games and the uh, misconceptions about their games, and now they're much better players, and and they and now that they're role players that fit well in with what Golden State is trying to accomplish.
1: It's probably similar. We just talked about Dallas, where they seem to have the magic jelly that gets. Uh, all these players to play well. Alright, uh, let's go to Boston, Atlanta. They'll play game two where, uh, t- this is being recorded on, uh, I think it's Tuesday. Uh, on Tuesday and they'll be playing tonight. <laughs> What's your thought on the matchup of this series? It's off, it's awfully interesting. Uh, Atlanta is the number one defensive team in the NBA since middle of January. Uh, what allows them to do that and can that carry them through the playoffs?
0: Atlanta is a fabulous team defensive unit. Uh, they, they do, they really do a good job of taking away, um their opponent's, uh, uh, strengths. Uh, they keep a tight shell. And what I mean by shell is they, they, they defend the, 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 the elbows and the, and the painted area in the boxes really well. And, and their health defense is efficient. They, I mean, they don't have like a defensive stopper, so to speak. They don't have a shot blocker in the paint, but as a team, They are tight. They are a tight unit. They help each other. They talk to each other and uh, they really do a great job of taking away strengths. And uh, um, this series, I thought this series would be really good. And I still think it's going to be good. Uh, However, Boston will miss Avery Bradley. I'm not sure how long he's going to be out. Uh, I haven't heard, but they're going to miss Avery Bradley's defense. And and, and, and his offense as well, because going back to game one, Boston <laughs> had the wrong guys shooting late in the game. They had a chance to win the game, but the wrong guys were taking shots. So was that coaching or was that a lack of execution? I don't know, but I know that the wrong guys took shots, uh, and Boston knew an opportunity to uh, take game one.
1: You know, it's interesting on Avery Bradley. Is as much as we all talk about him as a defensive player. When Marcus Smart or Evan Turner or one of those guys comes in, I don't think they drop a lot defensively. But if you look at the statistics, they really can't score when Avery Bradley's not on the court. They really, That's right? They, they really struggle to score when he's off the floor.
0: I totally agree. I mean, he's really a, a, an efficient offensive player, and he, he's underrated. But he makes things happen on offense, and 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 he's a guy that can get you a bucket. Late in games, whether it be off the dribble, passing, or even even taking threes, and, and he's not a great three-point shooter, but he he can knock down threes. Whereas Smart is not that guy. Evan Turner, he's not that guy.
1: It's interesting. Looking, at, at both these teams, they're almost what I, you talked about that shell Atlanta plays defensively. They're both kind of what I would call overshift defensive teams. They're, they're willing to get India on the wings. They're almost willing to gamble. They both force a good deal of turnovers. They're bringing their weak sides all the way over. And mm-hmm. they're, you know, you look, if you, if you watched the game with a and freeze frame it. You'll often see all five defensive players are on the on the strong side. Once the ball goes free throw line extended to a wing, all five guys are over on that side of the floor. Do do either Boston or Atlanta able to combat that better in the way they play offensively?
0: Well, probably Atlanta can combat it because they spread the ball, they spread the floor better, and they pass better. They're a great passing team. Everybody on that team can pass. Every, almost everybody on that team can shoot. So they spread the floor. They move the ball around the perimeter. They, they get it from one side to the other very well. And that's the thing that will get them over the top, whereas Boston doesn't have the perimeter shooters that Atlanta has. And uh, when Atlanta gets hot, uh, uh, it's trouble.
1: All right, let's uh, – your feeling on that. How, uh, I don't know when we'll talk next. Hopefully we'll talk as play, round two gets going, but, uh, I, I really like Atlanta. I, I have a, I don't know if I'm wrong on this one. I, I feel like Atlanta could stun some people. I know they, they got seated wrong. It's a four five, if I'm correct. I get this wrong all the time because all four of those teams tied. And so I think Atlanta has to go the next round and play Cleveland. Uh, do you think Atlanta could beat Cleveland?
0: I do. I do because Again, it's one of those series that could come down to coaching. And Budenheiser um, um, will probably <laughs> out-coach Lou, and I like Lou. But um, Atlanta is so smart. They have high basketball IQ, kind of like Golden State. Though Everybody knows how to play. They know their roles. They pass well. They shoot well. Um, they do everything well. Nothing great, but they do a lot of things good. And uh, their, their defense will 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 neutralize Cleveland's offense, and then offensively they will have Cleveland going crazy.
1: Atlanta, by the way, has a guy who should become a head coach in this league. Darvin Ham is real. His resume is really good. Uh, D league head coach background, I think, with New Mexico. Pro head uh, assistant coach, former pro player. Put him on the list when we have our eight openings this year. Darvin Ham's a guy that deserves some real discussion. Uh, he's more than just a guy who breaks backboards when he was a player. Uh, <laughs> he's a re- he's a really, really good assistant coach that probably deserves um, some some accolades out there. Cleveland-Detroit, uh, just a fluke first game, or is there anything in that matchup that, as you think back, is scouting those two teams that means Detroit can cause Cleveland long-term problems in a series?
0: Uh, I've seen them both play throughout the season, and um, um, I mean, obviously Cleveland is re- really good, and Detroit is 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 uh, is a, is a pretty good team. I, I I think that game one was a surprise to everybody, but B- Detroit is well coached, and they really have good players. But I don't know uh, if they can sustain that level of play for. You know, four games, five games, six games, whatever. Uh, I think Cleveland's, uh, talent will, uh, overtake, uh, Detroit, uh, because I, I just don't know if they, they can play with those guys. LeBron's, throughout the whole LeBron's
1: clicked in too.
0: Yes, he is, he is in, and when he's in, it's trouble for everyone else. I mean, that's. But the thing about Cleveland is, is everybody else on board? And can they play at, at that level? The way they played, in game one for a seven game series or throughout the playoffs.
1: Am I too simplistic when I watch Cleveland and I watch a possession where LeBron doesn't touch the ball because Kyrie brings it up and LeBron, like, that's a travesty to me. There should never be a possession where LeBron doesn't touch the ball. Am I, am I wrong on this? Is this too simplistic?
0: No, you're not wrong. I think that he should always touch it, or whether he's, he's he's handling the ball, passing or shooting, when your best player has to touch it each possession in some kind of way, and that's one of those things that could affect them long term. mean, because Kyrie has to have it in his hands, and against uh, I, I, I the better teams, that may become an issue if if they if they continue that trend.
1: I'm going to have to get over it. I just am not a Kyrie guy. He's so good. I got where he's so, so, so good. But there was a two-play sequence yesterday or this weekend that I thought just summed up who he was. He had this incredible low dribble, came up the pick and roll. I think Aaron Baines was caught on him, which is like, if you go into the Constitution, it is cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> it should be taken away. Like, Aaron Baines should never have to guard him. And he crossed him over with this low dribble that was so cool, and he laid it up, and it was awesome. And the next possession down, Kyrie got into it again, and he, and he dribbled, 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 and everyone stood still, and he dribbled, and then he threw a, t- he got caught underneath, he threw a terrible pass, and it ended up being a shot cl- end of shot clock bomb by Kevin Love that had no chance to go in. And... yeah. And as much as that first highlight is so great, you know what you get out of that? You got, like, from, I'm an analytics, I think about analytics, so I think about that as, okay, well, I got one possession where you scored and one possession, and that's one point per possession. That's distinctly average. Like That's right. And I feel like that's way too much of what Kyrie is, is there's these awesome plays, but there's so many possessions he just kills.
0: I totally agree, and again, that's, that's where they will get in trouble as as the playoffs uh, uh get longer. I mean, those those kind of plays, those kinds of decision making uh miscues will hurt them in the long run.
1: And my other one is and I'm sure I'm making this up, but I'm convinced his body language is the worst ever every time LeBron brings the ball. <laughs> I, it might be I think I might be making it would, you, you keep an eye on it you can send me a text and tell me whether you're with me every time the rebound comes down, you'll see it like love or or Thompson gets the rebound and Kyrie's waiting for the ball and LeBron's waiting for the ball and they pass it out and when it goes to LeBron, I just watch Kyrie's arms drop like all right like I don't know I, just, I may be making it up completely. I don't know. I,
0: I need to pay attention to that one. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, that's interesting, though.
1: But it is, it's hysterical to watch. Like, when the rebound comes down, they'll both be waiting for the ball. It's right. Oh like, and then you're like, okay, come on. Like, one of these, we got jobs here. Uh, and actually, frankly, Kyrie probably should bring that ball up, but it's clear on those possessions, like LeBron's like, I didn't touch last time. Uh, give me the ball. Of course. Right.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: uh, Miami Charlotte. I actually had Charlotte winning this series. I didn't think Miami could score enough. What the hell happened to Game 1?
0: Man, uh, I I thought Charlotte uh, would win Game 1 also uh, because they they ended the the regular season playing so well. Um, Man, Miami is tough, and I I believe Miami is going to make some noise in in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're, They're well coached, and they... Again, they have a bunch of guys that have bought in to the Miami way, the Pat Riley way, the Eric Spoelstra way, and uh, they they are a a great unit. And now they have this emotional thing going for them with the Bosch situation. Um, so it, there's a lot of a lot of things that play into the way go into the way Miami is playing right now.
1: Luol thanks for 30 points, though. Like, where would
0: that come from? <laughs> well, uh, you know, Charlotte uh, decided to try to take away Joe Johnson and, and D. Wade and say, okay, if Al Dang is going to beat us, then we deserve to get beat. Well, Al Dang beat you, <laughs> so I guess you deserve to get beat. Uh, now, Dang won't do that again. I, I don't think he will. There, uh, th- there's but the- that, that was a shot for everybody.
1: There's regular season players and there's playoff players. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, actually, is Pacer Stoyakovich, the great former Sacramento King, Indiana player. Stryakovich had, he needed to take one dribble to his left to get his shot off every time. If you kind of go back yeah. and watch him. And, and that worked in the regular season. And when you got to the playoffs, then all of a sudden the scouting report is so much more detailed that you, you knew that about him and they suddenly took that away and he was a notoriously bad playoff player. Uh, yes. Does Charlotte have those type of players?
0: Charlotte may have one guy that can can really get it going, and that's Kemba Walker. I don't know if they have anybody else that can that can can ignite and and lead them to uh, a victory. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I haven't seen them a lot, but. Kimball Walker is is a go to guy. He's a go getter. He's tough, and 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 on any given night he can play with anybody, any other point guard in the league. But other than that, when I look at the roster, I I just don't see it from anybody else.
1: All right, let's fly out. So are both of us abandoning our Charlotte, or do we think a seven game series Charlotte gets going here at some point? Uh, I
0: think Charlotte wins a game. Oh, in Charlotte.
1: Oh, you really are abandoning the Hornets. All right. I, I'm still staying with the Miami can't score enough to win the series, but I, I, I will probably regret that decision. I can't let, <laughs> I, I My brain does not allow me to throw out one game analysis after one game of bizarre performance. Uh, I think we have the Clippers-Portland left, since we're ignoring San Antonio-Memphis. Uh, Clippers-Portland. I thought this was fascinating, Scout. You have... Two teams, and this gets really detailed, but when you talk about pick-and-roll coverage in the NBA, there's kind of three things you can do. You drop the big down and you trail the pick with your guard. You come even yeah. and kind of just and let your guard go under and catch up by just kind of setting, forcing the guy to go parallel for the wall. Or you can trap it. I'm oversimplifying a little bit. The, the Clippers and the Blazers are probably the two most well-known Drop the big teams in the NBA, particularly Terry Stotts in Portland, and neither of yeah. them did it. Both of them came out and <laughs> trapped the pick and roll, and trapped Chris Paul, and trapped Damian Lillard. How unusual is it for these teams on the first game of a playoff series to completely change the way they play?
0: Well, it's um, it's really odd. It's It's a, very, it's a big surprise, because but. I think both coaches decided, look, we've got to take away the head of the monster on both. I mean, Clippers have to take away Damian Lillard, Lillard and Portland has to take away Chris Paul. So they decided, we, we got to get the ball out of these guys' hands and make them give it up early. And, well, I guess it worked out for the Clippers.
1: Is it sustainable in a playoff series for a team to change the way they play that much?
0: Uh, I don't know if it's sustainable because I mean it, it when the bigs aren't accustomed to doing it you're asking a lot of them uh now I think Deandre can because he's such a freak athlete I don't know if Portland's bigs can continue to do it uh but I think the Clippers can do it but i I, I don't know if they'll i don't know if they'll continue the trend for every game of the series just because. Of, of the ebb, ebb, and flow of the game. And, and, and Damian Lillard is good enough and, and Terry Scott is great enough to figure out ways, uh, to, uh, beat that, that, uh, that blitz as we call it or, uh, trap or whatever they, they choose to do or call it.
1: The NBA play, uh, uh when you look, let's stay, stay with, when, when, so McCullum and Lillard get going, Portland can win a game in this series. So there's two parts of that. Oh, sure. that's true. Can they get, can they get going multiple times in this series or are the, or the Clippers actually may be much better than we realize?
0: <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I think the Clippers are better than we realize. And the last two months of the season, I kept saying, man, these Clippers are pretty good and uh, they're, they're, they're playing great basketball and playing some of the best basketball, uh, that, that we've seen uh, all year. And now that Doc has got his bench going, that's what makes them even more dangerous. I mean, we know Jamal Crawford is Jamal Crawford, but now he's got these other guys playing well. Nobody expected Austin Rivers to become a player in this league. Nobody, except his dad. And it's worked out for him. I mean, Jeff Green, uh he's playing better. Um, who else did they have coming off the bench? Um,
1: well, Cole Aldrich <laughs> knocked the Jazz out of the playoffs.
0: Oh, my God. That, I'm glad you brought that up. And I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I told somebody, Cole Aldridge is better than Dwight Howard right now. <laughs> I, I, right now, he's better. Just because of his efficiency. I mean, the guy can catch. He can finish well around the basket. He plays hard. He runs the floor. He And he does all those little things that change or impact the game. Right now, he's better. He's more efficient. Is he a better player overall? He shouldn't be. But today, he is.
1: But you're getting to something here that I... You're touching on something. I'm not sure I'm willing to go totally Cole Aldridge over Dwight Howard, but it's why it needs to be a conversation. And that is too often we just talk about who's got better skills. It's not who helps you win more. Right. Like I'm, right. Watching, I'm watching Dwight Howard right now. I'm not seeing him do enough things to help the Rockets win games. Cole Aldridge exactly. in his 15 minutes coming off the bench is actually impacting wins right now.
0: Thank you. That's my point.
1: <laughs> it's the Taj Gibson point. So I, Amir Johnson might be the best. Amir Johnson of Boston, a player no one ever talks about. I believe, uh, give me a little leeway on this, everybody, but I believe in seven of his last eight years in the league, the team he's playing for is positive when he's on the floor. Wow. Like at some point that's not a – so like one year in the last eight, Amir Johnson's team's been negative when he's on the floor. At some point you got to say he does something.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: And the other one that I watch a lot right now, we're such a pick-and-roll league, but I think we talk so little about the picks. So I know everybody wants to go small, and when everybody goes small, everybody switches everything, and so then there are no picks. But when you're playing multiple bigs, if you have two good pick-setters on the floor, uh, you really can... You really can do some things, and Cole Aldrich is a good pick setter, and Dwight Howard is not, frankly.
0: That's right. I mean, screen setting, moving without the ball, knowing how to get open, those are some of the most minute things in the game that get ignored, but they help teams win.
1: Doc Rivers ran the coolest play yesterday. Was it yesterday? Or that was two days ago. Such a basic play. Left side, Chris Paul pick and roll with Blake Griffin, okay? So er, kind of an early offense initiation, I would say, above the elbow outside the three-point line, but not all the way to the wing, okay? Chris, yeah. Chris Paul comes le- left to right at the pick. It was just high enough. They couldn't quite ice it to the side. As he's mm-hmm. coming off the pick, this turns out to all be false action. He immediately chests it across the court to Jamal Crawford, who's coming down a step or two later, who gets a pick on the run, from DeAndre Jordan. Yes. And I think Crawford pulls into a 15-footer and buries it. Uh, it was such a great example of where two bigs actually can really be impactful in this league that you can set multiple pick and rolls that quickly in that in that set of the offense.
0: Absolutely. And that's actually a, a common play in this league that um, um, most teams don't do, but They don't necessarily have the personnel either that can be efficient at it. But a lot of teams run the play. Uh, L.A. just runs it a little bit better because they have Chris Paul and Jamal Crawford. But I love the play. I love the play.
1: Uh, Another one from that game, X's and O's, that I noticed. Portland's guards all seem to be going downhill when they get their picks. So often you think of the pick and roll as the guard standing there kind of static, the pick comes, he goes off the pick or he goes, or he, or he goes away from the pick. Portland's guards all seem to have momentum when they come into the pick. Is that unique to Portland? Is that unique to Lillard and McCollum? Or did I make this up in my head?
0: No, it's very unique, uh, and it's, it's probably a part of their strategy and, 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 and Lillard is, is very good, uh, uh north and south and 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 if you can if you can get him cut off the screen with speed uh i mean you you probably got a chance to score uh but they i mean i, I think that's a part of their offensive game the part of the offensive game plan to get them going downhill because they're difficult to guard and they can both shoot off the dribble or get to the basket so it, it's a great strategy
1: all right we've run through all the series uh There aren't a lot of upsets in this league. Do you believe that anybody has a chance to pull an upset? Houston, Portland, Dallas, Memphis in the West, Detroit, Boston, Charlotte, Indiana. If you had to choose one non-favorite, who do you take?
0: Non-favorite, I would probably pick Indiana.
1: Oh, poor Dwayne Casey. Oh, I know. My guy.
0: I like Dwayne, I know.
1: Uh, On a local note, I know you saw the Jazz late in the season. What's your thought on that franchise, where it's going, and and its personnel makeup?
0: The Jazz, they're definitely going in the right direction. I believe they need a veteran of star quality. They have great young talent. I mean, phenomenal young talent, but they need a veteran, a star quality veteran. Uh, to be the leader of that team and, and somebody that can get a bucket anytime you get them the ball. Uh, other than that, um, um, they're 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 going, definitely going in the right direction.
1: What do you mean by star quality? Is that I mean I I, um, I think there's like ten guys in the league. Or are you talking about thirty guys in the league? So does a Nicholas Batum count as a complimentary player? Does it have to, Does a Rudy Gay count who once could score a bunch of buckets? Or does it have to be a I don't know. I'm trying a
0: higher level player than that. Uh, probably a, a higher level. Um, and, and that will be tough to do because it's Utah and Salt Lake City. And I mean, I happen to like the city, but it'll be tough to get somebody of a higher quality. Uh, but I, I mean, those names, they're, uh, gay in between They're, they're medium level, but they, I don't think they fit into what Snyder is trying to do at all. <laughs> so, uh, something on a, somebody on a higher level I mm. who that will be I don't know because the 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 superstars are likely not going to take uh that that job right uh
1: quickly before I let you go uh you're mVP top five this year
0: oh my god um I was Steph Curry.
1: i was well sure Steph's one but then what are you doing after that
0: after that, um, <clears throat> I'm going to say Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Um, Chris Paul. Interesting. Uh, Russell Westbrook.
1: Over Kevin Durant.
0: Over Kevin Durant. Uh, 18 triple-doubles will do that.
1: Okay. And... Um, so just for the record, I'm going the other way on that one.
0: Okay. You had that right. All
1: right. And either of us would be uh, if they were on our team. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: number five. Wow. Uh, I guess you have to say LeBron.
1: Yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, probably five might be too low with the way he's playing recently. I mean, right. that, I mean, he's just that good. Uh, would you? What would be your defensive player? T- I, actually, this might be most interesting from a scout. Who are the guys that impact the game most offensively in your mind?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, um, I mean, Kawhi won the award. But, I, I mean, Draymond Green, you have to mention him. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, I mean, he's always up there. I, I, I think he impacts the game defensively in, in, in a variety of ways. And I, I, I think he deserves the award just as much as Kawhi or Draymond Green. Uh, other than that, the, the list is small.
1: Scout, awesome. Love it. Interesting. Fun to watch the rest of the series. Hopefully we'll check in again when we uh, have this thing narrowed down to either 8 or 4. And uh, appreciate the time and uh, hope you're enjoying uh, playoff basketball uh, as as we all kind of get to sit and enjoy it a little bit.
0: I am loving it, and thanks for having me.
1: That is the Scout. It's brought to you by SeatGeek. Remember to go get your tickets at SeatGeek.com. And use the promo code LOCKED. I'm David Locke. Follow me on Twitter and at Locked on Sports. Subscribe and give us five stars. We greatly
0: appreciate it.